I can sum this up really simply and then I'll explain it, but I basically want Yoda to be Steven Seagal. <laughs> Hello fellow geeks, this is Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. As a writer, storytelling is a big deal to me. I love exploring my favorite sci-fi, fantasy, and comic book stories, really diving deep into them to expose the important themes that shape our culture. On today's Story Geeks podcast, Daryl Smith and Nathan Sheck join me to close out our discussion about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. I'm really digging this deeper dive into the Star Wars universe, and I hope you guys are too. If you love Star Wars as much as I do, make sure you subscribe to the Story Geeks podcast so you don't miss one of our upcoming shows. All right, let's dive into part two of our discussion about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Okay, so now we're going to move on to another kind of a little bit more in, intense question. Um, the entire movie, there's tension between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And Anakin blames Obi-Wan for holding him back. Um, and Obi- Obi-Wan constantly thinks that Anakin is reckless. And both are very arrogant. So which one do you think is more arrogant and why? Daryl. I mean, I think definitely Anakin. I think he's beyond arrogant. I think he's narcissistic. I think he's delusional. I think he literally can't see beyond his own interests and what affects him Mm. and him becoming more powerful and getting what he wants. Even when he's trying to, you know, protect somebody else, it's usually just Padme and he's just trying to protect her to get her to like him, right? Mm. And so, yeah, Obi-Wan is arrogant, but he's arrogant in a way that you can kind of understand from somebody who is still relatively young in in their craft, but they're really good at it, Mm. you know? Like, he's good at being a Jedi, you know? So you can kind of understand there's some arrogance there, and you almost feel like he needs to be a little arrogant because, in a way, Anakin was thrust onto him, right? Right. Like, Anakin was Qui-Gon's Padawan, but once Qui-Gon was gone, somebody had to take care of him, so... It almost feels in some ways like Obi-Wan even has to like front a little bit of arrogance mm. in order to keep himself as an authoritative figure over Anakin. So, and yeah, Obi-Wan does seem a little too high on himself. So, I mean, there has to be a reason that Anakin feels like he's being treated unfairly, right? So right. there is some of that. But I think it's less... Obi-Wan being too high on himself and more, again, just Anakin not being able to think about anything other than himself. Hmm. So even if Obi-Wan is being completely fair with him, he's not going to see it that way. Okay. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, this time watching it, I was actually really surprised how mean Obi-Wan seemed. (laughs) (laughs) Um and I guess in a way it makes sense, especially if he's been having to deal with, you know, Anakin being this way for the last how many years. Yeah. Um, but kind of the level, it's almost contempt. I don't, I don't know if that's quite what it is, but he's constantly putting him down and it feels kind of unwarranted for what we see Anakin doing in the movie. Um, which seems to imply there, you know, maybe maybe there was something bigger before that, 
and and now Obi-Wan's just fed up or something. But this time it was actually really hard not to side with Anakin. <laughs> just because it's like, yeah, just remember that you are you are nothing. You idiot. <laughs> know your place. <laughs> I will say though, I think one difference between them is Anakin, anytime he's given counsel or anything like that, he either outright or passive aggressively, he denies it. And he only thinks about what he wants. Mm. Whereas Anakin, I mean, Obi-Wan does at least seek counsel from other people throughout the course of the movie. That's true. That's true. I, I So Daryl always like makes note of the fact that we don't disagree. And I'm going to disagree on this one. <laughs> um, I think that Obi-Wan is actually more arrogant than Anakin in this. And I do think you have a really good point to be made for Anakin's selfishness. Which I think so. I both I think both of them are arrogant primarily because it's self esteem issues. Mm. Um, Obi Wan is trying to trying to force himself to be the master when he knows that Anakin's super talented, mm. uh, more so probably than him because he is the chosen one. And instead of seeing himself as the guide of the chosen one, I mean, how cool can you be to be the guide of the chosen one? That whole chosen one thing is something we could talk about forever, too. I never understood that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the supposed chosen one, at least, right? Um, but I think that that it's in large part Obi-Wan's fault that Anakin is turning out the way he's turning out. Because it, there isn't a lot of chance for him to, to try and understand Anakin's opinion. Um, and I think in this film, like Nathan said, like there's just so much where he's just putting him down, putting him down, putting him down. And that doesn't necessarily make an excuse for Anakin's responses, but it definitely sets up a dynamic where he, Anakin calls Obi-Wan his father. He's like a father to me. And yet he's really being a terrible father in many regards. So I'm going to throw it to um, Obi-Wan being more arrogant, but they are both super arrogant you know part of maybe why i go with anakin is because historically as i remembered these movies before yeah. i watched them again everybody wants to, to bash hayden christensen right, right? like oh hayden thing. christensen is terrible he's the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to the star wars franchise and i'm not saying he's good yeah well i think he is good not in this movie yes I, there's other movies where he's I actually that, very though. talented yes i agree with that but um in this movie, at least specifically, I'm not saying his performance is good, yeah. but it is way more emotional than anybody else's performance. Yes. Not necessarily in a way that I'm like, give that dude an Oscar, but yeah. <laughs> at least you, you can kind of tell when he's angry, you can tell when he's happy, you know? Yeah. And Obi-Wan, I feel like Ewan McGregor's performance in this movie is terrible. It's mm. like super flat. Yeah. Whereas he was pretty good in Phantom Menace. I think he was one of the shining yes. people in that movie. But So uh, maybe that's why I go with Anakin, just because I, I get more emotion out of Anakin than I do out of Obi-Wan. Which is fair. Yeah. Which helps tell the story to me. You know? True. I will say, and we said this in Phantom Menace, all the problems I see in the acting and all that kind of stuff, in the writing too, it all goes back to George Lucas. Like You can't blame... You can't blame Hayden Christensen for for the performances that he put out. Have there. you seen Life Is a House? Have you ever no, heard of that I movie? I haven't. He's, I mean, that movie will not leave you in a happy space. But yeah, he's brilliant in it. He's really good. Oh wow! 
That's cool. Maybe I'll have to check it out. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! Do you think it's fair that the Jedi demand that Anakin not seek out his mother? Why or why not? And we'll start with you, Nathan. I think it's fair in that he is part of the Order and he has a mission and he's supposed to be doing something specific and they're like, no, you can't just like go to another planet when you're supposed to be doing this one thing. But, you know, on the other hand, it also makes sense why he might not do that. Yeah, this one's really hazy for me. I, I couldn't even quite pinpoint the moment when they do forbid him from seeing his mother. Um, but I think there's a missed opportunity here. I think this could have been something that helps add to the whole, the grayness of Anakin drifting into Vader, Mm. you know, and it could start to develop more sympathy for Vader and show imperfection in the Jedi, which, if told well, could be really interesting. Yes. And I feel like we're starting to get not exactly the same thing, but, you know, the whole light side versus the dark side, that's getting twisted a little bit in Force Awakens, which I think is really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, with Kylo being seduced by the light side. Right. But I just don't feel like it's done very well here. I think, you know, if you go back to the attachment is forbidden ideal that seems to be true of the Jedi, then from that standpoint, assuming that they have logical reasoning behind that ideal, then it makes sense that they wouldn't allow him to see his mother. Sure. Yeah, I think... So here's the problem I have with him not being able to seek out his mother is, um, you know, here's a kid that you took from his mother who's the only human being... He doesn't have a father. We're told that, right? Yeah. So, so this is the person who raised him until he was like whatever he was, seven, nine, whatever, whatever Jake Lloyd's character's age was. And for them to say, basically, you can't go back and see your mother ever, um, it feels like you're just going to drive them to the dark side in many regards. Like, how can I expect someone to be well-adjusted after tearing them away from their only attachment to a parent well to be fair they didn't tear him away he was dying to go he was dying to go yeah that's that's true but i still contend because we talked about this in the first one that they could have taken shmi as well yeah i mean she's a slave (laughs) yeah all they have to do is be like dude slavery is forbidden (laughs) like we're taking these both both these people when do they deny him from seeking her out is it before or after he learns that she's been sold and then she's in danger it's before okay before yeah. Okay. Because if it was after, 
then I would have more of a problem with it because then you're at the point where, well, she needs to be saved. Right. She needs to be helped and protected. And that's what the Jedi do. Right. You know? Right, right, right. All right. Well, we'll move on to the next question. Um, after Shmi's death, <clears throat> Anakin exacts revenge on the Tusken Raiders. Do you think his revenge is justified or do you think he takes it too far? And then simultaneously, how do you think that the ideal Jedi would react given this situation? And we're going to start with Daryl. I think he definitely takes it too far. I mean, you hear Anakin talk about, you know, I slaughtered them. They were like animals to me and I killed them like animals and not just the men, the women and the children, which is interesting because I didn't realize there were women and children, Tusken Raiders. But <laughs> um, I think he definitely takes it too far. I think maybe the ideal Jedi... I mean, Jedi certainly kill. They don't have anything against killing. But it would seem that it's not for the purpose of execution. It's not out of anger, because anger is one of the things that leads to the dark side. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly not women and children. It seems like there's some level of honor to the Jedi. Yeah. I think I'll okay. just point out that this is... Jay, this is how you wanted... Qui-Gon to handle the whole uh, slave situation on Tatooine, right? <laughs> right. He just, he just goes, kills all the huts, frees everyone. Yeah, then, then Qui-Gon would have been the best Jedi ever. It's a much shorter movie. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any additional thoughts on this one, Nathan? Not really. I mean, again, you would, you would expect, you know, they, they shouldn't take revenge. So supposedly the, the ideal Jedi would essentially just sneak out of there with his mom. Um, which again, like I kind of said, is basically what Qui-Gon did with Anakin. You know, he didn't, he didn't start a whole war over the slave issue. Right. So. It's interesting. I, I think he obviously takes it too far. Uh, maybe that's too obvious of a question, but I will tell you that the first thing I, I thought of um, when I was watching this particular scene this time around I was super disturbed by it this time. Because I'm like, what are they doing with her? Like, oh my gosh. Like, they just yeah. stole her away? Like, these weirdo Tusken Raiders. Like, and they have her, like, strapped to this, like, whatever it is. Like, some kind of cross thing. I'm like, what in the world could they possibly have wanted with this lady? Right? And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is super creepy. And I don't really know if I want to know. Um, and so then, if you think about it that way... Uh, Anakin's response is even more something that the normal human response would be. Like, oh my gosh, what have you guys been doing to my mom? I'm just going to just chop you all up. Um, I do think that in George Lucas's definition of a Jedi, it makes me wonder if the ideal response is supposed to be, well, she's dead and I loved her while I loved her, and, but she's just another human being and I will continue living and not do anything, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, that I find, man, I find that pretty disturbing. But at the same time, I find Anakin's extreme response disturbing. Um, I can see, you know, going through the Tusken Raiders, and, and if they attack you, then you go through the whole, the whole, you know, tribe of them, so to speak. But killing women and children, I mean, that's taking it a step uh, overboard, right? Right. You got to be careful. Just, just make sure you kill all the men. That's, and then, you <laughs> that's know, right. then you're good. 
<laughs> exactly. But these, but these are women and children, Tuscan Raiders. I mean, it's true. They're all. What evil. do they look like? <laughs> are they all the same size? Do they all wear the same? Belt? I mean, how do we even know you, that you there actually, was a couple of kids? Yeah, right? you can uh, see yeah. the were kids. There? Yeah, yeah oh, okay. a couple of all right, kids. I wasn't yeah. paying attention. And they're and they're pretty cute. I mean, they, their their faces are totally <laughs> still wrapped cute. up. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're basically Ewoks. <laughs> <laughs> they're super cuddly Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> All right, well, by the time the film ends, where do you think Anakin is on the spectrum of light side versus dark side? Is he more light than dark, or is he more dark than light? And I'll start with you, Nathan. It's interesting that he doesn't really seem to be any more dark than he started, because obviously we had the whole Tusken Raider scene, but he felt really bad about that, and... Mm -hmm. For the rest of the movie, he actually is a whole lot less whiny and than he was originally. So it, it's almost like if you didn't really know it was coming, it almost would have felt like he kind of was getting over it. And mm. that was kind of his turning point, um, which then, you know, maybe maybe that's what led to a lot of people being kind of annoyed with how quickly he turned to the dark side in Sith because you didn't really get to see a continual progression of getting closer to that throughout, you know, at least this movie and the next. Um, whereas this movie definitely showed him struggling with it, but, but it was kind of more of a on-off type thing. And, mm. and he seems to have gotten over it by the end and, you know, he's all happy and stuff. What do you think, Daryl? This is why I love talking about movies so much because you, you, it hits you in different ways. Like I observe the same things you observe, Nathan, but I take them completely differently. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yes, I observe that he is disturbed by what he did and then he is less whiny and less, less of a brat throughout the rest of the movie. But I take that completely differently. To me, I take it as... Um, you know, he is this, I'll say narcissistic again, he's this narcissistic, self-involved person. All he cares about is power. All he cares about is me, 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 me. There's one exception to that. And I think it's his mom. Mm. And in my mind, when he loses his mom, all of that goes away. So for me, the second that she died, mm. he became fully dark side. And everything else from here on out is just circumstantial, getting more opportunity to spend time with Palpatine and just the process of becoming Vader. But to me, he's already dark side at this point. Mm. And it's actually one of my favorite moments in the movie, again, because of music. Because when she dies... And when you see him slaughter the Tusken Raiders, what's playing in the background? Duel of Fates, I think, Duel of right? Fates, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and I think that's the first time we hear that since the battle in Phantom yes. Menace, right? I believe so, yes. So to me, that's John Williams telling the story better than George Lucas is telling the story, <laughs> you know? <laughs> to me, that's like, oh, okay, now Anakin may as well be Darth Maul. Like, it's done. Mm. Now he's dark. Mm. And so... Yes, he is disturbed by what he did, but I feel like 
it's not in a way that he wants to fight against it. I think he's just sort of processing who he's become. And then I think him being less whiny and less bratty throughout the movie is because he's sort of resigned himself to this new path and now he's a different person. Mm. That's kind of how I take it. I don't even know what to say now. Nathan <laughs> said what he said. I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's really good. And you said what you said. I'm like, oh, that's good too. I'll just leave it at that, man. I don't know where else to go with it. Um, so question number 14 is that Dooku makes this really interesting comment to Darth Sidious. He says, the force is with us. And this is kind of, in my, it blows my mind a little bit because can the force really be with the Sith? And does that make sense? And I'll start with you, Daryl. What do you think? Is Dooku a Sith? Are we ever told that? <laughs> no, he's a count. That's no, a, Dooku. What does that yeah. mean? <laughs> so, so the way I like to categorize Dooku is that the dude is just opportunistic, man. Like he's at every point in the movie, he's telling whatever, whoever it is, he's telling them what they want to hear. Like when he encounters Obi Wan for the first time, he's yeah. like, "Hey, bro, want to take over Darth Sidious with me?" And then like he goes to Darth, Sid- Darth Sidious, and he's like, "We're gonna conquer the galaxy, bro!" Like it's like that whole <laughs> he's like just switching sides in whatever way he possibly can. So he's... it is difficult to tell, but um, technically speaking, he has a red lightsaber. So he okay, is, he's dark side. Okay, but he's man, he's one of the most confusing characters ever to me and i'm like could we have given christopher lee somebody better to play i mean come on the dude's yeah. a legend he just should reprise his role as saruman i know <laughs> yeah. just do that instead. um so i don't know if i've never understood the difference between the light side's interaction with the force and the dark side's interaction with the force mm-hmm. everything that i've heard that indicates that there is a difference other than how it changes you as a person yeah is from people talking about it outside the films right so for me i don't feel like i get the difference from watching the movies right you know i just kind of get there is a dark side of the force and there is a light side of the force but they're still both the force right so if you ask can the force be with the sith based on what i see in the movies granted i don't know a lot of the auxiliary stuff but it, yes, otherwise they're not Sith, right? I mean, they, mm. they're connected to the dark side of the Force and that makes them what they are. But I'm going to sort of plead the uneducated <laughs> idiot on this one and Nathan, tell us the truth. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious in Nathan's answer because we've been having a long discussion about this. Yeah. Because it seems to be that... Well, the force either works one way or it works another way. And Nathan and I are having a long discussion about this, an ongoing discussion. So Nathan, what's your take? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, on the one hand, the way he says it, it almost feels like it could be more of a flippant, like things are going our way type <laughs> thing. And, you know, maybe there's not much else to it. Um, but... Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really make sense that the force would be with the sith but that also doesn't mean that the sith wouldn't think it could be um (laughs) in things that are not canon anymore we know that the sith kind of have their own code um about the use of the force and it's not all about and the force should be used for evil and we are evil 
it's about breaking their chains and and all of this other kind of stuff so it it's quite possible that the sith really do believe that maybe even they're using the force correctly Hmm. um so it's you know again we don't yeah we don't really have enough information but i i guess it doesn't seem impossible that that they may not actually believe that this is what's really driving me nuts right now is that there is and nathan and i talk a lot about this it's either that the force is and when we talk about balance especially the force is this spiritual through line, not even an entity necessarily, but it's a spiritual through line that exists in everything. And that at the same time, it is literally balanced, meaning that there should be as much dark side as there is light side. And if the two are out of balance, then that's bad. Is that what balance means? Well, we don't know, right? Okay. So the, the other, that, that's the question. <laughs> so if, and, and that's very like, like yin yang type of yeah. thought, right? Like that for every good thing, there is a bad thing. For every bad thing, that there is a good yeah. thing. Because I never understood how Anakin was going to be the one to bring balance to the force. Because why, why does more evil mean more balance? Well, and that's the problem. So then the question is like, is so I've always thought, I've always held to the belief that the, the balance comment really bugs me because I feel like, and, and Nathan and I have talked about this part of it too, the balance should always be towards the light and the absence of the dark. Mm-hmm. And that would be balanced, right? The problem with that is it doesn't appear to be what Lucas is intending with both the prophecy and the way that it... So I look at this look at this quote and I feel like based on if the force is truly supposed to be in balance, and there's supposed to be as much light as there is dark, then the force is with us means there's not enough darkness in the world. And we the force is with us. It's helping us accomplish what we want to accomplish. As opposed to we use the force against its will, so to speak, to create darkness in the world. It is actually working through us to create darkness in the world. And that's the biggest problem I have in Star Wars is that I just cannot hold to that being a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it just bugs the heck out of me. It's almost like this franchise, which is one of our shining examples of the treatment of good versus evil, wants to break down the black and white nature of good versus evil. Yep. But isn't doing it all that well. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I, the other thing I'd point out, though, is aside from using the word balance whenever they bring up the prophecy though i don't know if there's really any evidence for it meaning a a literal balance of good and evil coexisting you mean could it be more of like balance between force and non-force or something no like that? I, kind of like jay said the, that balance really means a lack of evil because evil like throws yeah. the force out of balance and and yeah jay i know i i know you think that's not what he's saying although again it, looking at everything else i i don't really know how else it could be well i think that's that's my biggest problem is that there's no evidence that the dark side is good there's zero evidence that the dark side is a good thing right so, but I feel like, and especially if it is based on East, more, a more Eastern 
mysticism type view of balance. I do feel like he's basically saying like, I want to say that it's balance, but everything about the way that that would work is dumb. Well, I, I apologize to anyone listening that believes <laughs> that balance is good. But I just feel like he's not showing us that in the movie. Right? He's showing us that we should all have, we should all be good. Although I will say that he's also showing us in the prequels that the, the rule following Jedi are really screwing stuff up as well. Could it be, and this is pure like speculation, I'm pulling yeah. this right out of the air, but yeah. could it be that maybe Anakin was meant to bring balance to the Force, but ended up doing exactly the opposite? Like, like the prophecy, I don't know exactly what the prophecy is, but maybe it turned out to not be true. Like he was meant to be this great hero who would vanquish the Sith and all this kind of stuff, and in the end, things went bad. Well, I think that's my point, is that we do know how it went in the end, and he did vanquish the Sith. He basically, he, he destroyed the last Sith. So that's why I believe it couldn't be literal balance, because then he did fail. He, you know, he didn't end up with one Jedi Luke and one Sith someone else. But we ended up with Luke, who was not evil. So... That's a really good point that I should have thought of having watched Return of the Jedi two days ago. <laughs> well, but it, but I, th- I still think it's valid to talk about because, so one, as I asked in this question, Dooku believes that the Force is with them. Do- Dooku believes that the Force is basically evil. Or it'll, it'll, it, it is evil because it is working through him to accomplish his desires um, which are very selfish. Um, and even as you talk about the um, the Sith Code, which I probably know more of than I should, because basically it's it's about uh, there uh, is passion, and through passion I gain strength, and through strength I gain victory, and, through, and when I gain victory, my chains are broken. Um, or there's the power is in there somewhere too. So there's, there's this idea, this very Machiavellian idea, that the Force is there to make you the individual powerful mm-hmm. and this is why the sith uh, essentially don't team up with one another very often um but i think it's a good point because because it makes us consider what does balance mean it makes us consider um who the chosen one really is because we're still continuing forward with the saga so if the chosen one was like a blip on the map that didn't really matter all that much then that's an interesting point yeah or it wasn't Anakin, and it was somebody else to begin with. So I think that we just need to discard a discussion board, and then we can have all the people uh, talking about that. So okay, and just because this is sort of relevant to previous discussions, so this is this is the last crazy theory I'll put forward, <laughs> is that it's possible that so if if balance is basically meaning fixing the force essentially, right? So something is off kilter. And the chosen one is going to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to only refer to the Sith. Because again, we've already said it seems like the Jedi Order has a lot of its own problems, right? And we've had it brought up that maybe this whole attach, you know, no attachments whatsoever, maybe that's actually detrimental. 
The other thing we know, though, is that through Anakin, um, we both basically completely dismantle the Jedi Order and destroy the Sith. And we're left with Luke, who, as we've said before, is himself a lot more balanced than possibly even the Jedi are because he is both, he is a Jedi Knight, um, but he does have attachments. He does have love. And he's able to basically use that to to save the galaxy. And so while the Jedi themselves aren't necessarily evil, you know, it's possible that bringing balance to the force was both getting rid of getting rid of the, the really bad stuff and also the stuff that maybe wasn't so great and kind of ending up with, you know, this one person who kind of embodied the best aspects of what what a Jedi Knight should be. Hmm. And I would agree. I would say that that's actually the best theory that I've yet encountered. So for me personally, I think that that's the way to think about the force because, because basically what you're saying is the Jedi get it wrong and the Sith get it wrong. And the true nature of the force is somewhere in between. So even as you say, like, like the first line of the Sith code, and this is without looking it up, so it's not going to be exact, but, um, it's about passion. It's about like like uh, pursuing passion, um, and in the Jedi code, it's like there's no such thing as emotion. Like, and obviously, I think we, those two things are out of balance. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's it's better if the if there is passion, but it's and it's better, but it's better if that passion doesn't lead you to your own fulfilling your own passions. Um, so I like that. I like that aspect. Of it. I hope that's the way they take it. I hope that's where Luke is actually going with things. Yeah. So we'll see. I thought I thought you thought he was going evil and that's I kind of hope he is going evil, but I don't know. <laughs> he did wear black in Return of the Jedi. It's true. That's true he did. That's right. He still had a red saber though. Or sorry, a <laughs> green saber. That'd be awesome. Somebody somebody should redub or not redub, but read VFX that movie and put a red lightsaber. Just switch all the lightsaber colors. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what, I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, so we have two more questions left, and these are not quite as hard um, as the ones we've been discussing now. But uh, what are your thoughts on Darth Sidious slash Senator Palpatine. This is the movie where it's revealed that Darth Sidious and Senator Palpatine are the same person, and mostly because he has a very definitive chin and mouth. <laughs> it's like anyone can recognize him by that. Um, he does not uphold the Batman mystique of not being able to tell. You can tell with him. 
What do you guys think of him? Um, and I'll start with Nathan. In this one, he doesn't really do a whole lot. Basically, he gets Jar Jar to make the proposal um, to give him emergency powers, and then he he accepts it and says, okay, I guess we'll use these clones. But that's essentially it. Hmm. You don't really learn a whole lot that you didn't know before. Hmm. Um, on a related note, it is interesting that you know everyone's then like, oh, so Jar Jar is like the downfall of the Republic. <laughs> but what's funny is like basically Jar Jar did for Palpatine exactly what he got Padme to do in the previous movie. So yes. you you can't really get mad at Jar Jar if Padme did it earlier. That's true. Um, and then in theory, but we can all be mad at Jar Jar. Well, okay. there's plenty it's, of other reasons. It's true. It's true. But then in theory, like they probably had to vote on it too, right? So it's not. It's not like Jar Jar's like, hey, I suggest this. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we have yeah, to. I was thinking that too. I was thinking that too. It's not like you like one senator is like, hey, let's grant emergency powers. And it's like, oh, I'm so bummed out he did that. We have to do <laughs> right, it now. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl, what is your take on Darth Sidious, Senator Palpatine? Um, I agree. There's, he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. But the character as a whole is sort of a bit of an antithesis for me when it comes to the rest of the characters in the prequels. Because... One of my biggest problems with the prequels is I feel like a lot of the good mystery from the characters in the original trilogy is being violated. Ah. Like there's some characters that I just don't want to know anymore about, like Boba Fett, yeah. um, Darth Maul. I know he's in the prequel trilogy, but I would, I would have liked to see more Darth Maul, but not in a backstory kind of way. Yeah. Um, and this might be a little controversial, but even Obi-Wan, like, mm. when I really think about it, I knew enough about Obi-Wan from A New Hope. I yeah. didn't need more. Um, but Palpatine slash Sidious is the exact opposite for me. He's one character that I really wish I did know more mm. about. And so I feel like there's a bit of a missed opportunity in the prequels there because we don't get to know a whole lot more about him. We get to know kind of who he was as his public face before he went full-blown emperor. But he's clearly already evil. He's just sort of hiding it. And it's like, well, I, I do actually kind of want to know, why is he evil? Like, <laughs> right. I would like to see Anakin's treatment sort of get applied to him. Like, mm. how did he become Darth Sidious, you know? Ooh, a Star Wars story. Another a one. prequel prequel. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I would say, just with Darth Sidious and Senator Palpatine, I mean, this is the first revelation that we have that the Sith that is operating in the Republic is literally the, the Chancellor, the Supreme Chancellor. Mm -hmm. um, so that is revealed in this one. I think for everyone who's seen the originals, you already know that. So, Which the, is part of what makes it a missed opportunity for me, because yes. he's one of the only faces who is in... Both right. trilogies, right? You know? Which is crazy it's like that he would capitalize younger. on that. Yeah, somewhere. it's just crazy you know? that he, they, he's now playing a younger character. Yeah. Anyways, the, so the, so the I guess if I had watched episode one first and then not seen anything else, this might be pretty surprising. I mean, I think you think he's a dirtbag in the first one, yeah, because he just is a little slimy. Uh, but in this one, you would really know, like, oh my gosh, he's the Sith. Yeah, like that's crazy. So I do like that, um, and I do think. 
I do think you have a point about learning more about him. Yeah. But I think he's the best character in the prequels. Mm. Because he's the most interesting character. He basically Because he has mystery. Yeah, and he orchestrates <laughs> he orchestrates a galactic war between two factions that he controls. Yeah. He controls both of them and is like basically I have to to destroy everything in order to build it back up under my purview yeah. as the Empire. Yeah. Which is insane. Um, and it's super cool. And I think that he's the one character that not only does George Lucas handle correctly, but he's the best. He acts the best under George Lucas's direction. And part of me wonders if he's just mm. like, screw that suggestion. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because <laughs> uh, I'm the emperor, anyways. Uh, but I do, I do really like his character. So I, I think it's a really interesting take on what evil looks like and how evil can be so undermining of good things. For some reason, that makes me think of... I've had this thought about George Lucas before, and it sort of made me think of it because how was George Lucas approaching it when he wrote this? Like, did he really endeavor to write the story as if he hadn't already made the mm. other three movies? Mm. And if that's the case, then I can kind of... I can kind of maybe change some of my opinions and stuff like that because right. I can kind of start to see it that way. But overall... I do have sympathy for George because he takes a lot of flack, obviously. I mean, yeah, I don't have too much sympathy for him because he's, <laughs> he's one of the richest people in the world. I mean, he's, <laughs> right, right. he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but think of it in terms of a band. One of the bands that comes to my mind is the band Jars of Clay. Okay. Who, when they released their first album back in the 90s, it blew up like they were one of the most successful you know quote-unquote christian bands ever everybody was embracing that album it was totally beloved and then they are brilliant musicians they are brilliant creative people yeah but they for the life of them they cannot outlive that first album yes like they make they've made great music since then and they've progressed and I haven't liked every single thing they've done, but I respect the progression. Yet, people reject them. It's not everybody, but some people reject them because they're not playing what was on that first album. Right. You know? Right. And sometimes I wonder if, if that's how George is getting treated. Like, yes, there's technical and critical, and there's so many flaws with these movies, but <laughs> right. creatively... Sometimes I feel bad for him because the original trilogy was so iconic that there probably are people that just won't let him progress. Yeah. And, and I think the interesting thing is he's the creator behind Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Right. My Two of my favorite franchises that have ever existed, right? And yet he still did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull which is really derided by people. Yeah. And he did these. <clears throat> and so it's hard to say whether or not he just was trying to address subject matter that's not compelling. Mm -hmm. Political drama, is that compelling, right? Especially when you've had sort of these more underdogs trying to, trying to fight back against this giant entity versus now how did the giant entity become the giant entity, right? Yeah. Go from one giant entity to another. Um, 
so I don't know if it's like he just hit in the in the early eighties, in the late seventies, early eighties, he just like had lightning in a bottle and it was just like bam, 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 like this is amazing. Like yeah. what changed in him? Or did our expectations just get too high? I feel like it was the technology. I feel like there was so much focus put on the technology of the prequels mm. that he kind of maybe didn't have time for the creative or lost touch with the creative or you know the constraints of working with green screens and all this kind of stuff right. maybe they hadn't developed ways to give the characters and the actors something to react to right like nowadays we have motion capture so you know rocket raccoon is what you see in guardians of the galaxy but on set they had sean gunn in this weird blue outfit right. that they could react to you know right they didn't have that when they were making the prequels so Maybe it's just he got so wrapped up in technology and he lost touch a little bit with the creative. And by the time Crystal Skull rolled around, it was just kind of a lost cause. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it'd be interesting to break it down like that. Yeah. Okay, last question. Last question that we have today. And I'm going to start with Daryl on this one. How do you feel? This is controversial. <laughs> How do you feel about seeing Yoda fight for the first time? Yeah. I. I can sum this up really simply, and then I'll explain it, but I basically want Yoda to be Steven Seagal. <laughs> and here's what I mean. That's going to be the tagline of the, of the whole show. <laughs> I, I love that we get to see Yoda fight. I love that we get to see a bit of what makes him this revered Jedi warrior. Yeah. But I think it was done completely the wrong way. I don't mm. think he should be flipping around and... Yeah. Being this crazy, agile elf jumping all over the place and being nuts. Mm. I feel like his fighting style should represent his personality. It should be stoic. It should be subdued. And he should basically just stand still and let you come at him. And when you come at him, he uses your own momentum against you and kills you. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he should move as little as possible, which is kind of what Steven Seagal did back when he was <laughs> cool. Right, know? right. Okay, Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's hard because, yeah, I can see how that would be cool. I also can see kind of why maybe George didn't want to go that direction. Um, well, it wouldn't be as exciting Right, visually. definitely. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first saw it, it, I didn't dislike it or anything. You know, it was definitely different. And there was a bit of a feeling to it that it, it was, you know, to be, quote, cool so i don't know i mean i guess it just depends which direction you're going to approach it because we've already seen that yoda you know you can use the force to move things and so i feel like the concept here was like hey what if if you can use the force to move other things why can't you use it to move yourself and so what would that look like if basically you had no restrictions on movement which in and of itself i think is a, is a kind of a cool concept and I like to think of it that way a little more than just, you know, okay, so now he's super spry or whatever. It feels like a lot of that is like direct force manipulation. And yeah, we, we also got to see some of the, the other side of that with when they were just doing the initial force duel, um, which, which actually is a lot like... Daryl, what you were talking about, where, you know, Dooku would do a thing and he would counter it. Um, it was just less 
less with the actual fighting. So it, it felt like he kind of wanted to get both of those in there. Um, what's also interesting is, again, I, I brought up the Rebels episode Twin Sons on the last podcast, but in that one we get to see Obi-Wan essentially also doing what you're talking about, where he's he's very stoic and controlled and the fight is over incredibly quickly because of that. And there were also a lot of people that were mad about that because they're like, we were promised an epic duel between <laughs> Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, but no, we just got this really quick thing that actually you know, was super important story-wise, but wasn't flashy. Um, and so it seems that you're always going to have people that aren't happy either way. I loved that scene, actually. That's, I haven't watched a whole lot of Rebels, but I sought that episode <laughs> out because I heard that Darth Maul was in it. Right. And I've, I know exactly what scene you're talking about, and I really liked it. I haven't seen any Rebels, but I've listened to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, so I've heard that. <laughs> I feel like I've seen it. Um, I would basically agree with Daryl on this one because I feel like a stoic Yoda and that the, you know, the best... It seems to me like the best, some of the best combatants in the world are reserved in their, in the expression of their form because it becomes so easy for them. So they don't need to, like Yoda's jumping all over the place and rebounding off stuff. Like he doesn't need to do that because he's more powerful than that. He's like, you need to come at me and I can, and I will just do what I need to do to defend myself. Yeah. And I think that that would have been a little bit to my preference. I do agree, Nathan, that I think he was trying to showcase, like, despite the fact that this is a 900-year-old being, or maybe whatever he is, 850 years old at this point, um, he can use the Force to augment his reality, so to yeah. speak. So I think that that's a good point to be made, but I still would have loved to have seen a stoic Yoda. To I me, I'm like, cool. how cool would it have been if he even, you know, what if what makes Yoda so legendary and so revered is that he's even evolved beyond a lightsaber? Like, I know it's cool for us to see him with a lightsaber yeah. and stuff like that, but how much gravity would it have given his character if he didn't even need one? See, I think that would be cool too. I agree with that. Special thanks to Daryl Smith, the other host of the Story Geeks podcast, and to Nathan Sheck, the co-founder of the Reclamation Society and the editor of the Story Geeks podcast. Always a pleasure to have you guys on the show. What do you guys think? Let us know. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org. Stay tuned. We have more Star Wars discussions coming up and some other great geek movies mixed in for good measure. So go hit the subscribe button. You don't want to miss those shows. And if you have an extra minute, we'd love it if you'd write us a review wherever you choose to listen to this podcast, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, and maybe even Stitcher. That is it for today's show. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth.